Greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome to another wonderful edition of Pop Cultish, the podcast that's going to tell you for sure that the mummy is not such a bad guy. He's just a little wrapped up in himself. My name is Tony Schaub. I am flying solo today. I've given my wife, uh, Emily, the evening off as we are going to make this a shorter uh, show tonight. Uh, we are still in the thick of the Halloween time, so we are obviously having some fun with all of our scary times and all that good stuff. But uh, today is October 22nd, and yesterday, October 21st, 2015, was uh, better known to a lot of us in geeky and pop culture circles as Back to the Future Day. That's right, yesterday was the day in the movie Back to the Future Part 2 that the two main characters, Doc Brown and Marty McFly, traveled to the future the future of 2015, and uh, we spent yesterday kind of celebrating that culture online, talking about all sorts of fun Back to the Future stuff. Uh, I went and got myself a brand new uh, 30th anniversary edition of the Blu-rays of the movie with the animated series and a big book of uh, uh, pictorial kind of retrospective and all good stuff. So I'm a little exhausted. Uh, it was it was a fun day yesterday, but uh, mentally a little wiped out here. So again, kind of a shortened episode today, but uh, today putting Back to the Future aside, which I, I, I hate to do, and maybe we'll come back to that in another episode. Since, uh, again, since we're in Halloween time, it's October, we're going to talk about some scary stuff. Today I thought we'd focus a little bit on some of the monsters that make Halloween and the scary time in general great. Now, you don't need me to tell you about, uh, you know, vampires and werewolves and all the classic monsters. Today our focus is going to be on some of the the lesser-known monsters, the B-team, if you will. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to chat a little bit about them and kind of uh, maybe give you some information that you never had before about uh, the wonderful junior varsity team of monsters, let's say. So <laughs> uh, I will start by giving you a very briefly, uh, everybody obviously these days knows uh, zombies. You can't escape them. They're everywhere. But what you might not know is that zombies uh, didn't always start out as the lumbering dead people that have been returned to life and uh, seek to eat the flesh of humans or they want brains and things like that. Zombies actually started in the uh, in the Haitian and Puerto Rican cultures of the Caribbean um, hundreds of years ago and uh, zombies actually started as uh, as an extension of voodoo and that culture where uh, zombies were literally uh, people, not necessarily dead people, sometimes dead, sometimes there were people that were just possessed by the voodoo priests to do their bidding. So that was what um, that was what really drove them was was the power of the mystical voodoo magic. So um, interesting how uh, zombies have kind of moved into what they're uh, accepted as today as the as the dead rambling uh, flesh eating monster but uh, that was actually because of uh, movies like uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and things like that in the in the in the 60s um, when they were uh, kind of uh, at that point still called ghouls and no one really had a good name for them somehow they got associated with the phrase zombie and that's where they went from there. Uh, if you if you want more information about the classic zombies as opposed to um, the more modern style of zombie, a uh, great place to start is uh, a 1988 horror movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Now, this is a movie that came out, obviously, in the 80s, so after the um, modern zombie had kind of proliferated. But uh, this is a movie starring uh, Bill Pullman and obviously uh, a, a slew of other people, too. But uh, he's, probably, he's probably the biggest name 
in in the movie there, but um, it, it it is about the voodoo type zombies, and it's very intriguing, and it's uh it's kind of fun if you're looking for something that's a little different and a little off the beaten path from your traditional, uh you know flesh eating zombie and things like that. So, so just a little bit about zombies there as we kind of uh, spring into our other discussion of of other wonderful monsters here. Uh, one that I'll start with that I've always uh, had uh, a low grade interest in. And I'm not 100% sure why or how it came about, but um, there's a monster called the Wendigo. Now, the Wendigo um, is primarily a North American monster. So those of you who are listening in in Europe and other parts of the world, uh, you may not be intimately familiar uh, with the Wendigo. But uh, uh, this idea of this monster started uh, mostly here in the Great Lakes region and along the Atlantic coast uh, of the United States and Canada, and it really proliferated uh, in the, um, um, uh, oh, a long time ago, before before the colonization really kind of heavily started, and it was uh, it was uh, big in the value and belief system of the um, indigenous Indian tribes, uh, the Algonquins. Uh, the Ojibwe's, the Salto, the Cree, the Nascapi, and the Inuits—they uh, all uh, had uh, varying, you know, similar stories about the the Wendigo. Uh, in fact, I can give you a kind of a kind of an idea here. Really, what it started as is um, uh, almost like a cautionary tale against people, humans resorting to cannibalism to survive uh, you know it was one of those uh you might equate it to a you know someone telling a telling a scary story about how somebody shouldn't be um, you know picking your nose all the time that's a that's a poor equation obviously but uh you know what i mean uh it, it started as a cautionary tale as something that you know you don't do this because then this will happen so essentially um if you engaged in in cannibalism or you ate the flesh of another human being you were you were granting the Wendigo spirit, the ability to to enter into you and possess you and things like that. So um, I got an interesting description here from a um, Ojibwe scholar from Ontario, uh, Basil Johnston. Uh, this this is what he said. This is his description of how Wendigos were viewed. And I'll quote here: "Quote uh, the Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation." its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash of gray death, and its eyes pushed deep back into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from the separations of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption, end quote. So there was a few different um, variations. Obviously, the Wendigo spirit could could enter into you and start to make you look uh, like a thin, terrible person, or there was actually um, spirits, Wendigo spirits, that could take this kind of physical half-man, half-monster form. So um, once they possessed you or came to you, obviously, the Wendigos um, kind of... Uh, took things to the extreme, you know, if you were caught uh, eating the flesh or, you know, things like that, you, um, the Wendigos would, would essentially force you to keep going. They were very uh, greedy and gluttonous, um, you know, kind of punishing you via excess, you know, if you were uh, ever re remember the story of um, 
you know, the kids back in the day who were caught smoking and then their parents made them smoke the entire pack to prove them wrong and things like this. This is essentially what the Wendigo was going to do to you, was to force you, you know, to say, uh, hey, you like the flesh of humans? We'll have some more and then some more and some more and some more until you couldn't get enough. So um, the interesting thing about Wendigos today in kind of a modern pop culture, if you will, is that it's seen a very interesting resurgence over the last few years of uh, really being kind of featured in a lot of pop culture presentations, uh, a lot of TV shows. Um, here's a, a list of TV shows that have featured Wendigo-specific stories recently. Uh, Supernatural, Grimm, uh, The X-Files, Charmed, Hannibal, Sleepy Hollow, Teen Wolf, The Blacklist. I mean, it, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, in the Marvel Comics universe, there's a, a fictional creature known as uh, as the Wendigo. I mean, even My Little Pony has, has featured the Wendigo in one of their stories. So, um... So he definitely one of those uh, animals that doesn't get a lot of love, but uh, but he is out there. So uh, the Wendigo makes our makes our team of B uh, backup JV monsters, if you will. So uh, following closely in his footsteps, sticking with the uh, North American Caribbean, moving down into the Caribbean area, um, Caribbean Mexico, things like that. There's um, <laughs> this one's kind of funny because it's uh, it's a, it's a pretty recent monster but um it's quirky that's all i can say it's quirky uh, um this one's called the chupacabra and you you might be familiar with the chupacabra uh it's fun to say i'll tell you that much but uh um chupacabra is literally uh translated from spanish i believe um from chupar and cabra which means to suck goat it, it means goat sucker <laughs> and i'll tell you why that's factual or you know it's relevant to 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 the monster's uh, etymology here in a, in a second but the the chupacabra i mean really um kind of uh, kind of a recent one the the first real chupacabra sighting if you will or at least mention of of the actual animal uh, didn't really start until the mid 90s in, in 1995 in Puerto Rico so you know this guy's only been around for for a couple decades there but um as the story goes, uh, in 95 in Puerto Rico, there was an attack where eight sheep were discovered dead, uh, and each of the sheep had three puncture wounds in its chest area, and they were all completely drained of blood, uh, again, according to the report here. So um, so that was early 1995, and then uh, later in 1995, there was an eyewitness that reported seeing the creature in the uh, Puerto Rico town of uh, Can. Canovanas. I'm not. I'm not great with my pronunciations here, but Canovanas, um, where uh, a ton of farm animals and pets were reportedly killed. So um, now, again, uh, since this time, obviously the the quote unquote sightings and uh, news stories have spread uh, to Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Argentina, Bolivia, some South American, and then of course coming into the United States and Mexico as well. Um, but unfortunately, uh, as many real-life monster stories tend to do, uh, this one seems to have been debunked uh, pretty quickly. There's been a lot of investigations. Nothing's ever been found. Um, the reports of the blood-sucking by the chupacabra were actually never confirmed in any animal autopsies or, or anything like that. So um, it, it was just one of those things where um, people were kind of... Uh, putting two and two together the way they wanted to in their head and things like that. So um, 
there was an interesting story here. Let me see if I can find this here. Um, there was a gentleman who did a five-year investigation on the chupacabra, which is that's a long time. A long time to investigate the chupacabra. So um, the, the descriptions of the animals varied, varied wildly here. I mean, uh, let's see if there's a... Uh, let's see if I can find um, find some descriptions. It's uh, It's one of those where uh, the... Uh, the the look of the beast, if you want to call it that, was um, never quite a hundred percent agreed upon, and that of course lends itself to the further idea that this uh, wasn't a hundred percent accurate here. So um, usually it's kind of a kind of a, a heavy set, uh, kind of a fatter little creature, uh, size of a, a a small bear or a small horse, um, with some with some spiny spikes. That uh, go from its head back to its tail. Yeah, you know, it has a tail, of course, and things like that. So, um, but the this five-year investigation that I was referencing here. So, um, a gentleman named Benjamin Radford, which he documented in a uh, book he published in 2011 called "Tracking the Chupacabra." The biggest thing that he got, and and this is really funny. I, I I'm sorry, I'm trying not to not to be too funny with this, but uh, um, the, the the eyewitness in Puerto Rico in in Canovanas. Uh, she, the description that she gave was almost identical to the creature named Sill from the science fiction horror film Species, which she did admit she had watched before she gave a report. So it's, you know, an interesting thought that there's something out there like something you just saw in a movie. But uh, uh, it seems like the resemblance here, obviously, you put two and two together, and this is one of those that, uh, uh, much like uh, much like Bigfoot, uh, who didn't make the list because he's still way more popular than the Chupacabra, um, maybe more people wanting it to be real as opposed to it not being real, obviously. So um, pop culture hasn't grabbed up on Chupacabra uh, as much as some of the other uh, beasts and monsters, if you will. Although, I mean, obviously, it's been around for a while. There's been a, a couple of Chupacabra-related monster movies that have found their way onto the Sci-Fi Channel and things like that. Chupacabra, Dark Seas, and the Guns of El Chupacabra. Um, you know, there's um, uh, there was an issue of the Fantastic Four from the Marvel Comics that uh, featured Chupacabras. Uh, he's been in Dex. They've been in Dexter's Laboratory, the Venture Brothers, Sea Lab. I mean, all of these. Obviously, you're seeing a theme here of some of these little more uh, out there, outlandish shows kind of grabbing onto this and uh, uh, you know running with this ridiculous story of the Chupacabra. So, so that's that one. Um, one that I'll squeeze in here that that may not have have reached full on uh, like pop culture monster status, but one that resonates with with me uh, because I read the book in which they originated uh, is a uh, a group of monsters or a type of monster called the Morlocks. Now you may have heard the phrase Morlock because it's out there in pop culture, but uh, if you don't know where it originated, it actually came from H.G. Wells and his novel, The Time Machine, that he wrote back all the way back in 1895. So uh, in that movie, of course, uh, the Morlocks were uh, residents of the far distant, distant future that the time traveler visited where there was a peaceful group of um, human people called the Eloi that were living above ground and then below ground is where the Morlocks lived and they were these stumpy little guys who couldn't see very well because of course they lived underground very pasty skin big ugly uh, and 
the way that these two species, uh, who had both evolved from humans, had gotten along, is that every so often the Eloi would just um, willingly sacrifice some of their uh, some of their people to the Morlocks for food, and then the Morlocks didn't raid them and uh, supposedly left them alone and things like that. So um, the Morlocks uh, have kind of evolved from where they started in the time machine, and they have kind of jumped out into uh, into other fiction as well. So um, you'll see some of it in... Uh, um uh, there is uh, once again in Marvel Comics, the X Men series has a has a community of mutants that they refer to themselves as the Morlocks. So so that's in there. Um, even H P Lovecraft uh, uh, kind of mentioned uh, um, on multiple occasions a a race of beings that were uh, extremely similar to the Morlocks. I don't think he ever referenced them specifically, but uh, but he definitely I uh, definitely put them out of there out, out there. So um, again, in, in comics, if you uh, uh, read the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in comic book form, uh, which, yes, the uh, questionable movie from a while back was based on, uh, they were featured in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So so they are out there as well. Um, even J.R.R. Tolkien, um, he actually he mentioned them. Uh, granted, he mentioned them in, in some of his essays, not, not so much in his fiction, but he definitely mentioned them in his in his nonfiction there. So um, there's actually randomly... Um, a television show that sci-fi has been working on producing called Morlocks. So they're getting out there a little bit. So um, Doctor Who has, has mentioned them briefly. Even in The Simpsons, uh, Homer Simpson mentioned uh, the Morlocks a couple times. Power Rangers, Big Bang Theory, Futurama. I mean, they're they're out there. So again, um, not overly as well known, but they are definitely out there for you. So uh, the the last race uh, I'm going to hit on, or the last monster, whatever, however you want to call them, um, that that we're going to touch on this evening, that's going to round out our our JV monster team here, is one that's been around for a while, and this one actually sprung out of um, real life necessity. Like, you know how they say, yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, people have invented this uh, kind of scary monster and the scary race of monsters based on something that actually served um, a pretty particular purpose. Uh, these, of, of course, these are called uh, gargoyles. And if you've, uh, if you've ever seen a classically designed building, uh, you know, you've, you've maybe seen a gargoyle. We're all, we're all kind of familiar with the, with the more classic, quote-unquote classic version of gargoyles hanging off the top of, you know, uh, cathedrals and, you know, um, uh, old-school, uh, you know, skyscrapers and things like that. You, you know, you might have seen an iconic picture of, of Batman on top of a gargoyle or, you know, Spider-Man perched on one or whatever, but... Um, but gargoyles, yeah, they are, um, you know, uh, a being normally made out of stone, uh, carved, you know, uh, formed grotesque, and their mouths are always kind of open. They're always leaning forward with their mouths open and things like that. So uh, there is a reason for that. There is a reason for that. And again, the reason necessitated, uh, not necessitated, but, but the reason led to why the monster was kind of seen as uh, a monster here. So uh, the term origina originates from, uh, from from the French, gar gargoyle, gargoyle, maybe? Uh, a lot of L's are at the end. They're probably silent. I don't really know. But uh, uh, the closest translation in England in English is likely to mean uh, throat or gullet. And so obviously how this works in to the physical design is that, again, you see them on buildings. You see them with their mouths open. They're, they're usually protruding off of a top or a side of a building. So... Um, but why they are like this is because architects 
often use gargoyles on buildings to help divide the flow of rainwater coming off the roof to essentially give it a specific exit literally out of their mouth down their down their backs down a, down a tunnel down their backs and out their mouth so that's done of course to minimize any potential damage from a rainstorm you don't want water collecting on a roof and things like that so um, obviously um, instead of having just this weird long looking spout it was more aesthetic to put some some animals up there and, and actually uh, a gargoyle even though the the, the term is French and obviously probably didn't didn't come around um, until, you know, the 6th or 7th or 8th century, somewhere around there. But they've been around as long as uh, the ancient Egyptians and Greeks. Uh, there is a uh, there is a temple, one of the temples of Zeus, that originally had 102 gargoyle spouts, essentially, that were made in the head of lions. Um, now, I think there's only a few of them left, obviously, because the building is continually falling into, into disrepair after having been up for so long. But... Uh, but um, you know they were they were made from marble. But um, but yeah, they were they were lion heads, and there's a lot of them uh, uh, throughout the um, Middle Europe and things like that, that that actually look like you know dragons and things like that. Some some gargoyles look like comical demons, like a pan type of uh, you know little imp type of thing. And then of course there's the you know the the, the classic. Um, dragon type monster and things like that so so there actually is of course uh again a legend that has sprung up around these because you can't just have these things hanging off the side of a building and you know wonder where they come from and not have somebody try to claim credit or or try to create a story about it so um it's a french legend obviously uh it, it kind of uh, came up around um saint romanus who existed in the seventh century so um the story talks about how um saint romanus delivered uh delivered the country around um a, a area called called ruin ruin uh, from a monster called obviously a gargoyle so uh, the gargoyle was uh said to have been you know a, a, you know your standard dragon big dragon breathing fire you got the wings long neck all that fun stuff so um obviously there are uh, multiple versions of the story as uh, stories that are passed down through the ages tend to uh, get uh, you know altered and things like that so but usually it goes that uh, saint romanus either subdued the gargoyle either with a crucifix or he captured the creature with the help of uh, only one volunteer, a, a, a condemned man, a jailed man. So, uh, But usually the legend concludes with the monster being led back to Rouen and burned. Uh, but even though it was burned, its head and neck wouldn't burn because the monster already breathed fire. So that area of his body had been tempered with fire so it wouldn't burn. So of course, since it wouldn't burn and it still existed, the head was mounted on the walls of the newly built cathedral to help scare off evil spirits. And it was used for protection and things like that. So as you can see, the, the legend kind of culminates in the factual placement of these animals on buildings so there was actually interesting there is actually a um for a while i don't think they do this anymore obviously but uh, in commemoration of 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 saint romanus um the the archbishops of ruin were actually granted the right to set a prisoner free on uh, on essentially on the saint's day so uh, it was one of those things where you know in commemoration of him and and the condemned man that helped him they they freed another condemned man and all this that and the other so uh gargoyles of course uh, are uh, pretty prevalent throughout pop culture you see them obviously on a lot of stylized buildings that are shown um there was a brief um 
I don't remember what network it was on, but there was a brief cartoon series called Gargoyles that was actually focused on these. Uh, I can't remember if they were... Uh, if they would be living sometimes and then turn back into stone or they just pretended to be stone. But uh, it, it was definitely, uh, um, I remember watching it from back in the day. This is like a 90s cartoon or something like that. So, but yeah, so we're going to put the, we'll put them on the, on the JV list of monsters. So we got the gargoyles, we got the Morlocks, and the Chupacabras, we got the Wendigos. And we'll go ahead and throw the uh, voodoo zombie on there for for good measure. So there's your so there's your starting five, if you will, for the for the junior varsity version of our favorite monsters. So so let that be some fun uh, some fun material for you this this Halloween season. Feel free to you know jump online or head over to your local library and read more about these guys and and their legends. And there's there's some fascinating tales behind them, of course. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, wanted to let everybody know that. Starting today, there is a brand new giveaway on the Pop Cultish Facebook page. So I want you to swing over to facebook.com slash popcultish and please enter that giveaway. Since it's Halloween time, we're giving away a three-pack, a, a really a cool collector's pack of the Grudge Trilogy. I don't know if you remember the movie The Grudge. It was obviously uh, based off of the Japanese horror film Juon, aka The Grudge. But there's The Grudge, The Grudge 2, and The Grudge 3. And we've got a big, cool collector's pack that we're going to give away to one lucky winner. All you have to do is uh, go go take a look at that thread, make sure you've liked the page, and then simply comment on the thread with what your favorite scary movie is to watch in Halloween time. And we're going to pick a winner probably on... Uh, Maybe on Halloween we'll go ahead and pick that winner and we'll send you this lovely Grudge Trilogy so you can have it and you can check out more scary movies for your scary time. So, all right, that's it for this episode. Uh, We'll catch you on the flip side. Uh, As always, don't forget to come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We love you and we'd love to talk to you. So um, take care until next week. And as always, be passionate, be proud, be pop cultish.